Uh, first of all, I want to, uh, to thank um, Reverend Summers, Charlie, and Rosalind for inviting me to be part of the uh, worship service today. Uh, I look forward to it. It's like coming back home because like um, Chuck said, I pretty much lived here in 2005, 2006, 2007 because Rosalind was, uh, was on the board. And so we would have our board meetings here. We would meet, the grant writer would meet and would hear. I think the chair's first project was in this room, wasn't it? Okay, the chairs for children project that Kathy um, it was inspired, inspired and uh, suggested to us was in this room. So um, I feel like I'm back home and I wanna just say um, thank you for inviting me, especially on this weekend and this Sunday. Let me um, read the New Testament scripture and then I will begin. Therefore, we, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The word of the Lord. Ava DuVernay Selma is a movie that depicts one of the most important episodes in civil rights history. The film documents the turbulent Selma to Montgomery, Alabama uh, demonstrations of 1965 that put Alabama and its racial and, and on the spotlight and its racial violence and injustice. The purpose of the demonstrations was to gain the right to vote. Even though it was on the books, it was, and it was legal for African Americans to vote, literacy tests, poll taxes, intimidation, and harassment kept 90% of the black residents of Selma from voting. My sister and I saw Selma together last weekend, and on the way home, we shared some of the memories of that time. My sister was a junior in high school, my brother was in the eighth grade, and they were home and watched it with their parents. I was a freshman in college, and so this was the first time I had heard her stories. Patrice told me that after they watched it on TV, Dad was ready to go to Selma and march when Dr. King called for people to come and join them. My mother was not having any part of it. She did not want to be a widow trying to raise three children by herself. So my father channeled his anger and frustration at home by going through the house looking for things that were made in Selma. Back in those days, everything was made in the USA. The lawnmower was made in Selma. He got rid of it. She told me that her eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Virginia Wood, gave her class the questions and answers to the Portsmouth literacy test to when they would have to take to register to vote, and that she had to memorize the preamble to the Constitution. We both talked about helping Henry Howell's campaign to get rid of the poll taxes in Virginia and to keep the big boys honest. As you might expect, suspect, my father was very active in the civil rights movement. 
He was a dentist by profession, which gave him the financial independence to be involved without the threat of losing his job. He sued the Portsmouth Public Library, the city parks, the cemetery, and the golf course, and won. He ran for city council in 1955 and lost by 63 votes. Dr. King invited him to come to Atlanta and be part of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, but he decided he would be more effective at home in Portsmouth and Chesapeake, Virginia, where he could trace his roots back to the Happer and Butt plantations in Norfolk County. So in response to Bloody Sunday, he organized a sympathy march that following Sunday in Portsmouth. They marched from Ebenezer Baptist Church on Effingham Street down to the end of High Street in front of the municipal building. Clergy from all denominations and people both black and white marched. It was a silent march. My sister and my brother participated. My brother was 13 at the time and he carried the American flag. There were speeches and songs. Flowers were thrown in the Elizabeth River to commemorate the deaths of Jimmy Lee Jackson, Viola Luiso, uh, James Reeb, Michael Schwerner, Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, and the four girls who were killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Addie Collins, Carol Robertson, Cynthia Wesley, and Denise McNair. The movie sparked much conversation for me and my sister, but it has also sparked controversy in its treatment of the relationship between President Lyndon Johnson and Dr. King. In the movie, Johnson is sympathetic to King, but wants to give priority to his war on poverty. He does not want King to go to Selma, and he is infuriated with King when he does. The movie suggests that King needs to push LBJ to stand up to the belligerent Governor George Wallace of Alabama. Some, like David Edelstein, film critic at at the New York Magazine, agree it's true that early on Johnson told King he didn't want to drive off support for the Great Society legislation by inflaming Southern allies. But Johnson was persistent and mas- a persistent and masterly behind-the-scenes manipulator and fought passionately for voting rights without any push from King. Dr. Paneel Joseph, professor of African-American history at Tufts University, agrees. Historically, LBJ and King formed an effective political p- relationship on the issue, although real tensions emerged between the two men when Johnson suggested that voting legislation be pursued later rather than earlier in the congressional session. Johnson feared that an immediate push for the black vote would undermine his ambitions for the great society. Joseph agrees that the movie script adheres close to that historical record on that point. As I watched the movie Selma, I found myself bouncing back and forth between 1965 and 2015 and thinking about the passage in Ecclesiastes. For most of us are very familiar with the first eight verses, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the heaven. But it is the following verses that caused me to ask the question, what gain has the workers from this to- their toil? I have seen the businesses God has given to everyone to be busy with, He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet, they cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So what does Selma, the Selma story, mean for us today, especially as Christians? Was there a gain from their toil? There is a sense, at least for me, of past and future, and we certainly do not know the whole story from beginning to end. But there's one thing that I 
have learned about history. If you revisit it, you will find new answers to questions that were not asked and new questions that ha don't have answers yet. The movie Selma adds some missing pieces to the story, parts that had been overlooked or ignored. And one was the presence of the women who played an integral part of the movement. So we see Coretta Scott King in a different light, struggling for a shadow of, uh, with the shadow of death that hung over her, her family, and her husband. We see Annie Lee Cooper, civil rights activist in Selma who tried to register to vote and is best known for decking Sheriff Jim Clark when the police attacked the peaceful protesters in front of the municipal building. We see Diane Nash, a founder of, founding member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and who led the 1962 sit-ins in Nashville, Tennessee and coordinated the Freedom Rides through the South protesting segregated inter interstate busing. Diane was, and still is, fearless. When the top advisor of the Kennedy administration tried to persuade her to stop the Freedom Rides after a bus was attacked and burned in Anniston, Illinois, Diane Nash calmly told him, you do not understand. We know the danger. That's why we signed our wills last night. We see Amelia Boynton Robinson, who with her husband was fighting for voting rights in Alabama in the 1930s. She convinced King to come to Selma. SNCC used their office, insurance office as headquarters and their home for planning sessions and housing for activists. In 1964, she ran as a Democratic congressional candidate in Alabama, making her the first African-American woman and the first woman to do so. She won 11% of the vote and ran before federal protection for black people and at Southern polls was mandated with the landmark Voting Rights Act. We see Mahalia Jackson singing to King over the phone when he called her overwhelmed. We see Jean Jackson, a friend of Coretta Scott King, feed and house Dr. King and the SCLC staff in her home. Members of Congress met for strategy sessions at her home to plan the Selma to Montgomery marches. It was also in Jackson's home that Dr. King watched Lyndon Johnson give his Voting Rights Act's address on March 15, 1965. In addition to peaceful protests, Selma shows us the political maneuvering, infighting, and strategizing it took to get the Voting Rights Act done. Selma shows us the tension between the youth and the older leaders, between the local residents and the outsiders. Selma, the movie, reminds us it was a movement of the people. The demonstration on Bloody Sunday was led by James Bevel, John Lewis, and Hosea Williams. The movement had already started when they called King in to bring national attention to the cause. King was not there that day. There were no outside demonstrators. These were the residents of Selma. Selma was their home. Selma was where they worked and lived. And their homes and their jobs and their lives were threatened when they decided to march. They were ready to walk 57 miles from Selma to Montgomery for the right to vote. This movie shows us their strength and courage it took to protest with their bodies, their faith, and their prayers. The movie shows how desperate they were for change and believe that change started with the right to vote. As I said earlier, Selma transports you back and forth between 1965 and 2015, for those of us who were there. There are a lot of parallel events. 
how could we have advanced in so many ways in the past 50 years and still be in the same place in so many other ways? The problems of injustice is much more complex than lunch counters, bus, seat, bus seats, dressing rooms, schools, and neighborhoods. The Black Lives Matter movement is attempting to identify not just police brutality, but health care disparity, food deserts, mass incarceration, mental health care inadequacy, underemployment, and unemployment. The complexity of injustice goes deep in our cultural psyche. Progress has been made, but the promised line has not been reached, but the beloved community has not been realized, and New Jerusalem has not descended. Knowing one's history is important. The blessings and the challenges, the highest mountaintop experience and the deepest pits of despair. Knowing Selma's history can point us in the right direction. And what happens is, what happened in Selma teaches us that it takes young people to make changes. Although Dr. King shows, seems a, like a larger than life figure on the pages of our textbooks, he was only 25 when he led the Montgomery boycott. He was 36 when the march from Selma to Montgomery took place. John, Representative John Lewis, who is 75 now, was 25 when he joined that march. Just as the young people in Ferguson, Missouri, took to the streets in protest, the front lines of history have filled, are filled with the faces and voices of youth. Selma teaches us that the revolution gains momentum when it's televised. Social media matters. Tear gas and employing military-style weapons were enough to make the nation take notice in 1965 and in 2014. It is a movement of all the people. Everybody needs to participate. Dr. King led on the principles of civil disobedience, nonviolence, and unity. Through his message of working alongside fellow Americans, black, white, or otherwise, he believed that real change could come. Just like Selma, people from all nationalities and creeds joined in peaceful protests across New York City to express their outrage over the death of Eric Garner. Selma teaches us that sometimes it takes a death to spark a movement. And as Christians, we certainly understand how that could happen. Our entire faith tradition is built upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jimmy Lee Jones probably couldn't imagine that one day the right to vote would be a basic and undeniable right for his grandfather or mother and mother. Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, and Eric Garner aren't alive to see the civil unrest sparked by their deaths today. Selma teaches us that there's a cloud of rich uh, witnesses around us. Chapter 11 in Hebrews lists, starting with Abraham, all of those who by faith followed God's call. And even though they didn't live to see it, they persevered. We must remember all who lost their lives and those still living who committed their lives to work for justice and reconciliation. Melissa Harris Parrish last weekend interviewed the youngest person on the Selma March, Linda Blackman Lowry. She has written her memoir, Turning 15, on the Road to Freedom for Middle School Children. She, has, she had already been jailed nine times as a protester, once for six days, and once in a hot, windowless sweat box where all the girls passed out. At the protest on Bloody Sunday, a state trooper beat her so badly she needed 35 stitches in her head. 
when Melissa asked her, why did you go back the second and third time? And Ms. Laura said, it's hard to explain, but you have to embrace your fear. If you embrace your fear, you will find yourself on the other side of it. Melissa also interviewed John Lewis and asked him, based on what was happening now in Ferguson and New York and Cleveland, was Selma worth it? Did it make a difference? And he said, absolutely. We cannot give up hope. We keep our eyes on the prize. There are too many who never realized the promise but had faith anyway. Selma can be an inspiration to us now or a disappointment. But as Christians, we do believe things will get better. As Christians, we believe God is with us, even in our suffering. And as Christians, we believe that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Amelia Boynton Robinson, whose iconic photo of her unconscious and left, who, of her unconscious and left for dead on Bloody Sunday, wrote in her autobiography, Bridge Across Jordan, that she thought of other mothers when they had given their lives for less. Like the children of Israel, she said, leaving Egypt, she wrote, we marched towards the Red Sea and we were on our way not knowing what was before us. At the age of 103, she watched the movie with her family and friends at her home in Selma last month. After it was over, she said she hopes young people will pick up the reins of the struggle her generation launched. She hopes they will sign up for the long haul because there will be many more pivotal moments in black history and many more Selmas because she says, you never know where you're going unless you know where you've been. With the great cloud of witnesses around us, what can we do to move our nation forward towards that promised land or the beloved community or the new Jerusalem? It's going to take many different approaches and strategies and tactics. We must do whatever we can, wherever we are. And there's plenty work to do. First Press has already done that. I can't think of a better example than Kathy's vision of the chairs for children fundraisers for the daughters of Zalofahad. Her artistic sensibilities, old Sunday school chairs in the attic, plus committed members of this congregation and all the others who bought pens and chairs and donated their time and resources. For those of who helped us buy that second house, I am still in contact with a family who lived there, who often expresses her gratitude and how living there changed her life. You provided support to her and many other mothers and children in ways we will never know. But we do know that they are better for it, and so are we. And even though I was only part of the visioning process, Boaz and Ruth is another way that First Press is bringing healing, reconciliation, and justice into the community. Reverend Michelle Owens, chaplain at Union Seminary, borrowed the term praying with our feet when she coordinated a bus trip for the Justice for All March last December. 20 of us from Union participated. There were people from all over the country, every race, creed, color imaginable. To hear the mothers of Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and the wife and children of Eric Garner was heart-wrenching. They were so appreciative of our support. The next installment of Praying Our Feet will be a discussion of the movie this Tuesday at 1210 in the Belk Center. If you've not seen it, you still have time. Michelle's invitation reads, bring your lunch and your wisdom as we explore this movie, our experience of it, and how it might guide our thoughts and actions going forward as a part of the body of Christ seeking justice in our community. 
The people of Selma show us ordinary people can make a significant change. They show us that all of us have something to contribute. For some, it might be providing meals and housing for other activists. For some, it's arguing with the President of the United States. For some, it is letting your office be used as a meeting place. For some, showing up to march across a bridge or be in a demonstration. For those of us who have been around the block a few times, we can lend the young our wisdom, but don't get in their way. Show them where the potholes are on the road to freedom, but let them figure out how to get around them, because this time they may zig where we zagged. So let us lay aside every weight and run with perseverance. The race God, the race before us, looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Let us not grow weary or lose heart. God will use us based on the gifts God has given us. And God places us where we need to be. God knows the whole history from beginning to end. We need to know as much as we can because our histories are interconnected whether we know it or not. I will close with this familiar quote from Dr. King that speaks to our interconnectedness. We must all learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will all perish together as fools. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. Amen.